I am not too sure of many things in life, but I am very confident that wherever you go, Vicki, God will use you and bless you, and you've always had a great heart toward the things of the Word of God, so we appreciate that. Now today, uh, uh, we're going to begin our study in the book of Proverbs of chapter 22. We finished chapter 21 last week. And uh, as it's chapter in the book of Proverbs, we just unearth a, a wealth of material that, uh, uh, and this again will be a great chapter that is just loaded with biblical life-changing and life-preserving uh, principles in the Word of God. Uh, I want you to know this so you can get prepared here. It'll probably be maybe two, maybe two, three weeks, maybe two weeks. But within this chapter lies the key verse to, to parenting. Raising your, up your children, uh, bringing them up in, in the world that we live in today. And in three or four weeks when we hit this verse, uh, we're going to camp on it. Amen. We're probably going to take maybe four or five weeks, and uh, we're going to exhaust every aspect of that great verse and, and try to help you. You know, so many of you are, are becoming new parents, and uh, that's an exciting time. Uh, you're having children, you're having babies, and, uh, you know, uh, if, um, uh, if another person never got saved and joined our church in 10 years, we'll be running 10,000 just because of all the kids you're having. <laughs> but, uh, you know, those kids are going to grow up, and there's some things that need to be done before they get to that point. When we started our church, I know my grandkids, and I know Steve and Nikki's kids, and many of your kids, they were just little guys. And now they're in high school, they're in, uh, you know, they're in, uh, um, some of them have graduated, some of them are in junior high, some of them are moving into, uh, you know, juniors and seniors in high school. And uh, they're facing the most challenging time in their life. And uh, my job is to not only help you with all your personal struggles, but to help get you prepared to deal with your children. Bible talks about, and we'll get into this in great detail uh, in a couple of weeks, Bible talks about that. Uh, in every child's life, when they hit that age, that evil day shows up. And that evil day is the day that they have to face alone the onslaught of the world, the flesh, and the devil. And what you have built into them will be the key whether they, they make it or they don't. And my job will be to, to help you uh, through all with, with, with the Word of God and good, solid, biblical principles. Uh, the evil day for many of our kids now has arrived, and, and their, their lives, their souls are hanging in the balance. And uh, it won't be what our Sunday school teachers do. It won't be what Zach does. It won't be what anybody does in whatever groups they're in. The real fundamental factor will be what you, the parent, does. And uh, I'm going to be very honest with you. Some of you are losing that battle. Some of you are losing that battle. And I want to help try to turn that around. And we'll see what happens when we get into it. But that, that, that'll be coming up here in a couple of weeks. But before we get into that, we need to look at uh, our first set of verses here. And so let's begin by reading Proverbs chapter 22. And uh, I'm afraid we're only going to get through one verse today. But uh, I'm trying to hurry along as quick as I can. I know so, some of you are so bored with Proverbs. I know, I know. We just need to rush through the mind of God and get on with the football game to set. Did the Chiefs play today, by the way? They don't? Why not? What happened? They got a buy. Somebody bought them? They're losing money. 
I, I have no idea. Chiefs are not playing. I wondered what happened. I didn't hear anything on it. And, uh, but anyway, Proverbs chapter 22, verse 1. A good name is rather to be chosen than great riches, and loving favor rather than silver and gold. Let's go to the Lord this morning and let's ask the Lord to bless us as we get into the Word of God. And uh, Dave, would you stand up and ask God's blessing on the, the sermon this morning? Amen. Now, verse 1 says, A good name is rather to be chosen than great riches, and loving favor rather than silver and gold. Now, this is, this is a great verse with many important and valuable things that we need to kind of look at today. Uh, but I want to start off and putting it into a context in your Bible. From, as we find it in the book of Proverbs, and we find it here in the doctrinal standpoint, uh, this name here will be the nation of Israel. This is what he's talking about, in, in particular in the context. We know that in Genesis chapter 32, verse 28, Jacob, uh, Jacob, who his name means schemer, supplanter, by the way, this is where God changes his name to Israel. Now, Israel, the word Israel means in English, who hath, uh, who hath a preference with God. And, uh, and this is a great place in the Bible. In fact, it's the first time in your Bible where the name Israel shows up. And we see by God changing his name, and we know that from Jacob as we move on through here, and we've talked about how that in Genesis you find the formulation of the nation of Israel, where God begins that five-step process to bring them uh, where he wants them to be, that really the Old Testament is divided up around. And we find here that where God changes his name to Israel, and from Israel, Jacob, now comes the 12 tribes, and from the 12 tribes uh, comes the nation, as we know, uh, as the nation of Israel. Most people don't know this. We talk about the Jews. We call them Jews or Jewish. But you know, they're never called Jews till 2 Kings chapter 16, verse 6, uh, after the kingdom split north and south. Nobody really understands where the word Jew comes from. Uh, it was a term that was used for the two southern tribes that were Judah and Israel. So most people think that it has something to do with Judah and the two southern tribes, and that, that's probably true. But you don't, we get the idea that, well, we talk about the Jews, we hear about the Jews, the Jewish faith and all that, and we think that they were called that all the way through. That's not true. It wasn't after Solomon lost the kingdom and Jeroboam and Rehoboam split the kingdom that you find the word Jew even showing up in your Bible. For that time, they weren't called that. We talk about Hebrews. And in Genesis chapter 14, verse 3, Abraham is called the first Hebrew. And of course, uh, we see that in connection with the, with the formulation of the nation of Israel and God getting ready to call them out. So by the time you get to uh, Genesis with Jacob here, 32, now you find the first time it's called Israel. And Israel will have preference with God. There's no question about that. Right now, uh, we saw this last week, we talked about it, the nation of Israel is under the, under the pressure of the world system uh, of a false witness. They're blamed for everything. Thursday night, I walked you through, somebody asked a question about the, uh, the nation of Israel, and I walked you through a brief history of them and showed you how that uh, uh, everything kind of falls into place. But today, the nation of Israel is a byword. A byword is not a good word, by the way. But there's coming a day when the name Israel 
God's people will be a good name. And this is the reference that he's talking about in the book of Proverbs here. It'll be a time when that name will be the focal point of everything on earth. And you'll find this in your Bible if you want a collection of books or chapters to look at. Look at Ezekiel chapter 40 through chapter 48. Great eight chapters on God reforming and restructuring and giving the nation of Israel that new covenant that he talks about uh, in the book of Hebrews. The Bible told us in Genesis chapter 12 verse 3, God told Abraham that when Israel became a nation, that all the families of the earth was going to be blessed through that nation. When a little bit later on in Genesis chapter 18, verse 18, God told him that all the nations of the earth are going to be blessed through the nation of Israel. When you get into the New Testament in your time and my time, the Bible says in John chapter 4, verse 22, that our salvation, salvation is of the Jews. Everything runs through the nation of Israel one way or the other. So the name that God gave Jacob, or changed his name to, was Israel, a preference with God. And it will be a good name because of God's blessing that's going to flow through the nation of Israel. And when Christ comes back at the second coming, establishes the nation of Israel, establishes his people, the nation of Israel, everything's going to flow through them. It's kind of like the church right now. We're in the kingdom of God. We know that's a spiritual kingdom. We know from Ephesians chapter 1 that all spiritual blessings flow to us through Christ. He put it all in Christ. But in the millennium, that's not true. In the millennium, which is the physical kingdom of heaven, you feed Genesis 18, Genesis 12, come into play now, and all the blessings that God has for all the families, all the nations on this earth, are going to run through the nation of Israel. And today we want to look at at this good name, and we want to kind of lay it out through the Bible. I think it's an interesting thing to, to look at and to study. Now, the context is the nation of Israel. I get that. But along with that, there will be the greatest name on the history of the planet that is a good name, and that will be the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, or Jesus. And that is a good name. You know, no other name, and I've said this a couple of weeks ago, no other name on earth down through history has caused more controversy than that name. That name is a polarizing name. You know, some people's names that you just hear in the world scheme of politics or, or life in general, they're polarizing by who they are. When I talk about Donald Trump, people go two different corners, you see. When I talk about Hillary Clinton, people go to two different corners. When people talk about, you know, uh, Barack Obama or Ronald Reagan or Jimmy Carter, uh, uh, people get polarized. Some people like them, some people don't like them. And there's never been a name that's been more polarizing, without a doubt, than the name of Jesus. People will love that name, and then people will hate that name. People will use it in connection with the great blessings of life and all the things that God has given them or they will use it as a cuss word uh, to apply weight to what they want to say. The Bible says it's a good name. The book of Psalms, Psalms means praise. And the book of Psalms is filled with references to the name of God uh, and praising that goes along with it. Psalm 17, 17 says, I will praise the Lord accordingly to his righteousness and will sing praises uh, to the name uh, of the Most High. You know, you do a quick study through the Old Testament, you'll find that there's 14 names associated with God in the Old Testament. 
14. When you look at the Lord Jesus, you'll find that there's seven names that are ascribed to him. Deuteronomy chapter 32 is called the rock. Over there in Genesis 3, it's called the seed. Over there in Genesis 49, it's called the scepter. Over there in Numbers 24, it's called the star. In Genesis 49, he's called a shepherd. In Genesis 49, he's called a stone. And in Genesis 49, he's called Shiloh. And you'll find that those are names that are given to him, and every one of them is a good name. They all fit into his character. Psalms 8 verse 1 says, O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is thy name in all the earth, who has set thy glory above the heavens. Psalm 76 1 says, In Judah is God known. His name is great. In Israel. In fact, when you start to come through Psalms, 97 times, 97 times in the book of Psalms, you will find a reference to the goodness and the greatness of the name of Jesus. In the New Testament, Acts chapter 4, verse 12, it says, Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is another name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. That's a good name. Philippians 2, verses 9 and 10 says, Wherefore God also hath highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name. It's a good name. That at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of things in heaven and things in the earth and things under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Now that's some name you got. Bible says that he's exalted that name above every other name. It's incredible. Now, I just throw this in here. You go back into Psalms in a couple of places in the Old Testament. He exalts the Lord, name of the Lord above every other name. But you know what else he says? He takes the Word of God that you have in your hand, the King James Bible, and he exalts that book above the very name of his Son. Not only is that some name he's got, that's some book you got. Bible says in Revelation chapter 19, verse 13, that his name is called the Word of God. Now, the devil hates that name. And we're going to connect all the dots here for a second. The devil hates that name. He hates the book that you hold in your hand for one express purpose. Because of, of the name that it represents. John chapter 1 verse 1 says, In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by Him, and there was nothing made that was made. It wasn't made by Him. The Bible goes on down there and it says, The Word was made flesh and dwelt among us. That's a good name. You see, the devil wants his own book. He wants his own Bible that will exalt his name and take Christ out. And that's what the new Bibles do. A key verse all through our study in the last couple of weeks has been John chapter 8, verse 44. You have your father the devil, and the lust of your fathers you shall do. He was a murderer from the beginning and, and abode not in the truth, because there's no truth in him. So the devil takes his people, unsaved people, and takes the most highly precious God-honoring name in God's universe. And he makes it through his people because he hates that name. He makes it a cuss word. He associates it with hell. He associates it with damnation. He associates it with every filthy thing in this world. He takes the highest name which is above every name, which is the good name, and wants his people. And unfortunately... Sometimes a lot of God's people to drag it through the mud of this world. What an unsaved man, or a Christian, I guess, wants to add weight and authority to what he's saying, he will throw in the most powerful name in all the universe to make his point. 
He'll go around with the authority to asking God to damn this. He'll go around with authority taking Jesus Christ as some, uh, some powerful statement that he's about to make about something that has nothing to do with the Bible. He'll walk around and say, I'll be damned. I'll be damned. You'll ask him a question and he'll say, hell yes. You know what an interesting thing in the Bible? You know that God judges people out of the things that they say in their mouth in the Word of God? You imagine the great white throat judgment when an unsaved man stands up there and he wants to make his defense. How many times do you think in the life of an unsaved man did he ask God to damn something? How many times do you think he said, hell no? How many times do you think, well, he said, I'll be damned? What if with the great white throat judgment, every unsaved man and every unsaved woman who their whole life used those words and brought it down to a godless sinful level, stood there before God, and every time he opens or she opens her mouth in her defense, he hears it, she hears it played back, I'll be damned. I'll be damned. And if the angels of heaven should say, should you go to heaven? You'll hear it come out a thousand times. Hell no. You better watch what you say. The Bible's very clear that God judges people out of the things that they say. And at the judgment seat of Christ, for you and for me, it clearly tells you in the questions he's going to ask about the words we speak. I'm telling you. What we do so frivolously, what we take so candidly, what we do when we think we're really a big tough guy or a gal taking the highest name the world has ever seen and dragging it through the mud. It may just not work out for you in the end the way you think it will. If I didn't know that the Bible was true, if I didn't know that God was real and Christianity is everything the Bible says it was, I know it was by the name Jesus and God and how the devil wants to take that high name and turn it into a cuss word. I know it that nobody ever cusses in Buddha's name. I know it because nobody ever cusses in Muhammad's name. I know it because nobody ever cusses in, in, in Confucius' name or Buddha's name. The Jehovah Witnesses, their spiritual leader and founder was Judge Rutherford. Nobody gets a good cussing out in Rutherford. The crazy Church of Christ people, their founder, their faith was Alexander Campbell. Nobody. A lot of people cuss out Alexander, but they don't cuss out Alexander Campbell. Why in an unsaved man's world, every other word out of his filthy mouth will be and have to be derogatory toward God's Son? Why is that? And I'll tell you why, because that name is a good name. I'll tell you why, because there's no other name given among men under heaven where we must be saved, and the devil hates that name. You have in your chair this morning, either in your lap or on the floor or in front of you, a little red book called a hymnal, Great Hymns of the Faith. In that book, there's 500 songs about one man, the Lord Jesus Christ. And we could go down to the Christian bookstore down there, you know, Pro Bass or wherever it is, and you could go in there and, and go into their book. Uh, not Pro Bass, the place that's across from Pro Bass. Bass is kind of a Christian place, isn't it? I mean, anyway. So anyway, anyway, you can go into that, that other Christian place over there and you can get 20 more hymnals that's got 500 songs all about one guy. 
You know what? You don't find one hymn about Muhammad. There wasn't one song written about him. You don't find any hymn book with a bunch of songs about Buddha. You don't find any hymn book with a bunch of songs about Confucius or Menoriah, the angel that gave the golden tablets, or Joseph Smith, or John Calvin, or Alexander Campbell. There's only one name that changed men's lives, that polarized them in such a way that inspired them in their hearts that they wanted to write and sing in their heart about one man. That's a good name. Only one name under heaven given among men. Why, in Acts chapter 2, verse 38, when the Jews want to get right from, from crucifying Christ, and they've they got to they gotta, they gotta get baptized in the name of Jesus. It's a good name. And the Bible says a good name is rather to be chosen than great riches, and loving favor rather than silver and gold. You know, any good name that you and I would have will be based on the name of Jesus Christ that we took upon us as a Christian. The name Christian means little Christ. The name Christian is first found in your Bible in Acts chapter 11 where they're first called Christians at Antioch. The word Christian was given to us by our enemies. It was given to us by our enemies because of the fact that the Roman Empire was the world power at that time. And if anybody knows a little bit about the Roman Empire, you know they had a God for everything. Now, a little bit later on, they just, they just, they just, they had a God for everybody. They had a God for uh, 500 gods. And when they looked at Christianity, when they looked at Christianity, they saw a religion that only had one God. To them, they followed the same mindset that many of God's people do today, bigger is better. The more gods you have, the, the better you are. I remember one time in a tough situation, our, our, our sergeant said, if anybody wants to pray, now's a good time to pray. And he says, I myself am going to pray to Jesus Christ. I'm going to pray to Buddha. I'm going to pray to Confucius. He says, we need all the help we can get. You only need one. You only need one. And it's an incredible thing. It's a good name. So we're called Little Christ. You know, there are two names that are associated with what we have and what we are and what we believe. That's why we'll never change. We'll never not call ourselves Christians because our enemies called us Christians. And I'm proud to be a little Christ. I'm not anywhere near what I should be, but you ought to be proud to have Christ living inside you and not 500 gods. Can you imagine the complexity and the confusion of that? You got a God for every month, got a God for every day of the week, got a God for every event you do, you got a God for your dog, you got a God for your children, you got a God for this. It gets real confusing. I just like simple one. You know, if you got a religion that's got 500 gods or 500 people going to try to help you, it doesn't say much about the one God who's supposed to be in charge. You know what I got? I got one God. He covers all the bases. I don't need anything else. And so they called us Baptists. Now, you'll find a lot of Baptist churches that once were Baptist churches who were never really Baptist churches. They want to take Baptist off their name now. They think that Baptist has a bad connotation. And I'm not saying that it doesn't. But you know what? Whatever you change your name to is going to have a bad connotation to somebody. If you said, I'm nothing, that has a bad connotation. If you says, I'm something, that is going to have a bad connotation. In other words, we'll never take Baptist off our name you know why? Same reason we'll never, we'll never not call ourselves Christian. The name Baptist was given to me, to us, by our enemies. 
because we stood for a doctrine in the Bible that they didn't believe. We wouldn't believe that infant baptism would save anybody, so we got labeled Pedro Anabaptist, against child baptism, and it stuck. I'm not taking that off. Now, if somebody gave it to me, you know, some Christian gave us that name or something, then I might consider changing it. Uh Uh-uh. When my enemy recognizes the single greatest doctrine that we stand for is the blood of Christ washing your sins away, I'm keeping it. That's a good name. And I don't know if you know this or not, when you got saved, you took his name. The Bible says there's no other name among men. Whereby we must be saved. We, we, when we got saved, we took his name. Now let me ask you a question. Back in Exodus chapter 20, you have the Ten Commandments. I know, I know. All Christians today think that meant the Ten Suggestions. It was the Ten Commandments. And in Exodus chapter 20, verse 7, you find the third commandment. And the third commandment was, Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. For the Lord will not hold him guiltless that taketh his name in vain. Now I've always heard that that is talking about somebody cussing. I grew up in churches that that they said, You shouldn't cuss and take the Lord's name in vain. I want to tell you something. That's not what it's talking about. Now, I agree that you shouldn't do that, but that's not what the verse is saying. The verse wasn't saying to Israel, don't cuss and take God's name in vain. If you have taken the name of the Lord Jesus Christ by your salvation, and you have come to the place where you have accepted with understanding that you're to serve Him, and you're to be a living sacrifice to Him, if you have taken His name and done absolutely nothing with it, you have taken His name in vain. Israel did. Israel got their name changed in in Genesis chapter 32. They took his name and his people went and did absolutely zero with it. And God gave everything that God gave them to the world. At salvation, we get his image. At salvation, we get his name. At salvation, we got his spirit. At salvation, we got his body. And at salvation, we got his mind. And 99% of God's people took all of that and took it in vain and do all of their Christian life. Absolutely nothing with it. Let me ask you the question. You've taken his name. Have you taken it in vain? Let me ask you another question. This is question Sunday morning. What do people see when they look at you? What do they see when they look at me? Do they see Christ or do they see the world? At work, when people hear your name or see you, what do they think about your name? What image, you know, <clears throat> you say somebody's name and that I know, the image pops up. And when people say your name, an image pops up. My question to you is this. Is it for the Christ or is it for the world? What do they think when your name pops up, Christ or something else? I mean, with what name do they associate you with, Christ or the world? 
Bible says a good name better than the great riches. And a good name rather to be chosen. I mean, I mean, let me talk about that for a moment. You do understand that you get to choose how people look at you. When you came out of the factory, it wasn't pre-programmed to what you were going to be. When you got saved, the Bible says that, that God made you a new creature in Christ Jesus. Old things are passed away, all things become new. How come that didn't happen? Why didn't that take effect? I don't have the answer to that. But I sure know there's a lot of God of people who claim they got saved and nothing ever changed. They don't love the Bible anymore after they supposedly get saved than before they do. They go to church when it's a convenience. When there isn't a ball game, there isn't this, there isn't that, there isn't something the kids got to do, there isn't some dance class, there isn't this. Everything else will take precedence. Hey, if, every, if, if God's son let all the things in his life take precedent over him dying on the cross, he, we never got saved. Oh, I'm going to the cross, but John's in a bog soccer game this afternoon. I'm going to go. Oh, I'm, I, I want to go to the cross this morning because Bob Alexander needs a Savior. But you know what? Uh, Peter's fishing down there, and it, it'll really bite, and I'm going to go down there for a while. We let so many things distract us. And the very focus and the very passion that we should have should go back to the greatest name that ever filled the earth. Tell me the story of Jesus. Write on my heart every word. Tell me the story most precious. No sweeter words to my ears. Jesus. That's a good name. It's a good name. But you do realize you get to choose. Nobody makes you get drunk. Nobody makes you party with the guys at work, after work, probably during work. Nobody makes us do the things that destroy our character and reputation that people look at us and when they hear our name and they know we're a Christian. You know, it isn't the devil that keeps people from getting saved. It's people like me and you. It's people that took the name and took it in vain. Boy, out of the gate, Proverbs 22 is pretty hot, isn't it? <clears throat> we ain't done yet. Say, I don't like it. You ain't going to like it less before I get through. <laughs> I got news for you. And we know that life is about choices, isn't it? It's about the choices we make. And when we get to choose what to do with God's name after we take it, isn't the fact that once you get saved, God comes down and puts a double arm hammer lock on you and makes you do what's right? God thought, God thought for sure that once you understand the unbounding love that he had for you, that you would just give up the world. There's a lot of good names in the Bible. And they all gave us really good examples. I think of Mark chapter 14, verse 8 and 9, and it's also in John chapter 11. You have the story of Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. Mary has a good name. There's a great contrast in that story between Mary and Martha. Martha, and they really represent the two kinds of Christians. Martha's always busy doing something, but she has no relationship with the Lord. And Martha's always trying to change God's mind. She's always trying to change what God is going to do. She's always interrupting and saying, well, Lord, you really didn't mean that. 
One time the Lord said to her, Martha, Martha, you are so busy in so many things in your life. And you always find Martha doing things where you always find Mary sitting at his feet. And there came a time in that great story that, that Mary took an alabaster box that had ointment in it. The Bible says very costly. She could have sold that. In fact, I, I read one where in a commentary years ago, I don't know if it's true or not, but it makes good preaching, that uh, the cost of that box of that alabaster ointment probably was worth a whole year's wages. And, and she took that, and she, she could have sold it, she could have done, but she, she, wanted, she wanted to give it to the most precious thing in her life. And she does three things. And I have a sermon on this, and I, I won't preach it to you this morning, but I, I'll give you a, a little bit to understand it. She does three things. The first thing she does is she takes that, that alabaster box, she breaks open that ointment, and she anoints his feet. And it may seem like a strange thing, but the next thing she does is that she has to have something to wipe the oil in, so she uses her own hair. She obviously had long hair, like many of you ladies do today, and she wiped his feet with her hair. And the Bible says that when she opened up that and put it on and, and got it all over her, that it had a beautiful smell to it. The Bible says that the ointment filled the whole room. You know, I, I've looked at that and I thought to myself, I understand why she's got a good name. You know how many thousands of sermons have been preached on her? I've probably preached on it over a hundred times in my, my time. And when I looked at that, I thought there's three aspects to her good name. And it's all around what she did that represents ministry. You see, the first thing she did was anoint his feet with the oil. That's a picture of what you and I do to God, Godward. If you don't have a relationship with God first between you and him, Godward, nothing is ever going to work in your life. And she had this ointment and she put it on his feet. And when she put it on his feet, that represents to us her sacrifice that she made Godward. Then the second thing the Bible says is that she used her own hair to wipe his feet. In 1 Corinthians chapter 11, we know that hair, a woman's hair, is a picture of her submission. So the second thing that she did is she used her own hair. In other words, Godward just wasn't enough for her. She got involved, and what was Godward now became inward. She became part of the Lord Jesus Christ in everything that he was. And then the Bible says that once she anointed his feet, it went Godward. Once she used her hair and it went inward, then the owner filled the house and it went outward. Everybody smelled it. Everybody benefited from that one selfless act. Somebody said, as I said, that it, that it, that it cost her a year's wages. I thought about that a lot. We talk about sacrifice. That's a sacrifice. No wonder she's got a good name. She spent what cost her a year of her life to make him smell good for just a moment of time. And we won't walk across the street to do it. That's a good name. That's a good name. Then you got, in Acts chapter 11, verse 24, you got a guy by the name of Barnabas. He's got a good name. In his, in his name of taking care of people and, and doing what he was supposed to do, they called him Barnabas, son of consolation. He consoled people. 
He helped people. He, he, he did with them. Some of God's people have been saved 10, 15, 20 years, and they've never helped anybody. There's not one person in their life that they ever reached out to with what God has given them. I'm not fighting it. I'm just telling you it's the truth. You, they've got so much, after 10, 15 years, they've got so much baggage in their life of all the problems. You can never call them the son of consolation. You have to call them the son of Samsonite. He, he reached out and he touched people. He took what he had and he realized that there were people that were hurting. And he wasn't, he wasn't just selfless about his own life and what he wanted. He saw the others out there didn't have what he had. I, I, I think of the Apostle Paul. His name is associated with the greatest Christian that ever lived. One of the men in the Bible that God changed his name. We'll talk about those in a little bit. But he's one of the men in the Bible that God changed his name. And I thought it was always interesting. His name before that was Saul. Once he gets saved in Acts chapter 9... And God starts to use him. He warns a man to Christ. And his name is Sergius Paulus. Acts chapter 13, verses 7 through 9. And it looks like on that basis, just two verses down, God changes his name from Saul to Paul based on the first person he ever won to Christ. That's an interesting study. I think of the Apostle John. No greater model of any Christian in the Bible than John. One of the twelve apostles. The only one that went all the way. All the rest scattered. And you know, he stands. He stands. When you go back in, when you go, he stands for what your life and my life should be. You know, when you go back in Proverbs and it talks about the strange woman, the, the, the whorish woman. And it talks about in Proverbs chapter 5, Proverbs chapter 7, that she catches this little guy on the street corner. Kind of like a hooker working downtown. And she's painting up her face and she's looking really beautiful. And this little kid comes walking down the street, probably from Future Farmers of Association of America here for a convention. And he's got his little jacket on. Never been outside of Cord Crib, USA. And he sees her and he goes, golly. <laughs> she smiles and she blinks those eyes, you know. And she's dressed with the attire of a harlot, the Bible says. That's a picture of great Babylon mystery religion seducing you as a Christian into the false spiritual adultery of leaving God for another false religion. When you get your life, you're the greatest Christian ever lived, and you're the model. You know what your, your, your model is in the Bible? John. So every time a hooker takes a man and destroys his life, when she says, when somebody asks her, how many dates did you have tonight? She'll say, oh, I only had two, what? Johns. You know, John's the most popular name. I don't know how many Johns we have in this church. We got John Buscat. We got John Christensen. We got, who else? Who's all named John here? Let's see. Oh, you got, we got Johns all over the place. Got two back here and two upstairs. One for the men, one for the women. John is the most popular name out there. It really is. But you know why? Because people name their kids John because they don't, 
know it. They want their, in their minds, they want the best. And you could never have a better name as far as I'm concerned. You never notice that there's two names nobody ever names their kids. One of them Judas, the other one Jezebel. I never went to a, a, a hospital when somebody just had a baby and a little sweet little girl laying in that little crib and you said, what's her name? Jezebel. Mm-hmm. What's his name? Judas. Mm-hmm. I, I, I love, when I go to, I haven't been down there for years and years and years. I, I think Pearl of Fun has them. We, those coffee mugs that has your name on it and then tells you what it means, you know. And you pick it up and it says, John, and it says, you know, lover of whatever, or, 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 or Phil, you know, uh, lover of this, lover of that. I, I love looking at that. I like to know, I picked up mine one time, it says Bob, lover of truth, <laughs> lover of righteousness, <laughs> a defender, protector. It, it was a really big cup. There's good name. John was a good name. A good name is invaluable. It will always tell who and what we are really based on what we do with the Word of God and the Lord in our lives. The Bible calls this an honest report. In Acts chapter 6, they picked the first deacons, seven deacons. And when they looked for these guys... Acts chapter 6, verse 1 through 3 says they were told to look for three things. And it's the same three things that we find. You've got a lot of wannabe deacons. You've got people that think that, oh, if I could be a deacon, that really is something. And they, 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 they couldn't make it to the uh, first base on a, on a softball game of deacons. The first thing that they had to have was an honest report. That's a good name. First and Second Timothy talk about the qualifications for a deacon and a pastor. Their character has to match their reputation. The second thing, they had to be full of the Holy Ghost. That means that they were led by God's Spirit. That means they had a history in their life of making good decisions. And the third thing it says, they had to be full of wisdom. That's the ability to use what God has given you. And the Bible says that this is what he looked for. They had to have a good name. The people wasn't going to follow somebody that, 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 you know, that didn't do what the Bible says. And in, a good, in, in the Bible, a good name implies a character that matches the reputation. Somebody said one time, if a, if a man's reputation ever met his character, they wouldn't know each other. Somebody said, a good, ma- a good name will be gained by many good acts. And you can lose it with just one bad one. And a study of character in the Bible will be a study on self-discipline and self-control. Character. You're not born with character. You're born a character. But you're not born with character. It has to be developed. It's developed by what we focus on and what we think about. And when I get into the great verses on training your children, I'm going to show you how to build character in your child's life. It comes from the fact that you have to bring every thought into captivity, into the obedience of Christ, 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 5. And I've learned that if I take care of my character, my reputation will take care of itself. And verse 22, or chapter 22, 1 says, And a good name is better to be chosen than great riches, and loving favor better than gold and silver. 
You see, character is what we really are. It's what we do when nobody sees. Reputation is how people view us in light of what we do with our character when nobody sees. We either come out with a good name or a bad name. You see, you can deceive yourself that you have a good name, but your character and your reputation will always truly define who we really are. Have you taken the name of the Lord of God in vain? You took it the day you got saved. Most of God's people are like the Dirty Harry movie. We're just legends in our own mind. In any church, you'll have people with a good name and a bad name, good reputations and bad ones. I've had many times here in this church, people come in with issues, and they will come in and and talk to me. And I'll begin to try to put a plan in their life, something to help them, something to get them where they want to get to. And out of the clear blue sky, I'll say something, you know what, I can, I'll put a support team around you. I've got some, some really good guys and some really good ladies, uh, and, and we'll, 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 we'll help you through this whole thing. We'll do whatever it takes. I'll stay involved. I'll work with you. But let me put a, an accountability team. Let me, and you know what they do? They'll ask specifically for you. Some of you. They'll say, well, could so-and-so work with me? Could she work with me? Could he work with me? I think there's no greater compliment in all of life in Christianity than for someone to be struggling in life and ask me if I can put them with you. They see in your life something that they don't have. They've seen your reputation. They've seen your, your good name. I mean, when they want to buy a car, they go see so-and-so. When they want to get insurance, they go see so-and-so. When they want to learn how to fish, how to hunt, and how to do all the play golf and all the things, they'll go find so-and-so. When they want to decorate their house and do it right, they'll find so-and-so. When they want to buy a house... They'll find so-and-so. When they want a recipe for the greatest Hungarian goulash on the planet, they'll find so-and-so. But when it comes to spiritual things, when it comes to things in their life that they're struggling with, they have seen your life, you have a good name, and they ask for you. I think that's incredible. And I might add along with that, there's plenty that they don't ask for. You know, the single greatest asset of a good name will be one word. It'll be dependability. You see, I'm not really worried about when I put you with somebody, if, you'll be, if, if that person can depend on you, though I may at some point. My, my, real, my real worry many times is, can God depend on you? The Bible's full of examples of undependable people. And dependability is simply saying, what you do when what you say you'll do. In Acts chapter 13, verse 13, and we don't have time to go through a lot of them, but John Mark, 
He, oh, I want to go on a mission trip with Paul and Barnabas. Oh, yeah, I want to get my missionary hat, my missionary jacket. I want to get that sign on the bus, World Tour of the Apostle Paul. Da, 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 da. And when he got in it and he found out it was too rough, he ran home to Mama. Undependable. I look at Lot in Genesis chapter 12 all the way up to Genesis chapter 19 and 20. There is not a more undependable person on this planet. People you can't depend on for anything. Proverbs 29, 15 says, Confidence and an unfaithful man in a time of trouble is like a broken tooth or a foot out of joint. What good is it that if you have a mouth full of teeth if you can't eat? You'll never run the race with a broken leg. Dependability. Dependability. That comes with the reputation of a good name. I can depend on that. And it isn't me. I've, had, I've given things to people to do, and I have to get two other people to cover for them because I know they're not going to do it. I just give up doing that. I'll just do it myself. And you're always going to find that. You're always going to find that. You always got to find people, oh, I'll be at discipleship, and then when the discipleship comes, you're here and they're not. Oh, I just forgot. Well, let's use that word. Let's forget you. You come next time, we won't show up. Dependability. I'm telling you something. Now, look at the last part of that verse. I'm going to get off that. Look at the last part of that verse. And loving favor than riches and gold. Proverbs 3, verses 1 through 4 says, My son, forget not my law, but let thine harp keep my commandments for length of days and long life and peace. Shall they add to thee. Let not mercy and truth forsake thee. Bind them about thy neck and write them upon the tables of thine heart. Now here it comes. So, thou shalt, so shalt thou find favor and good understanding in the sight of God and man. You see, you have to find it in God first and then you'll find it in others. Too many of God's people just want to find it in others without ever getting it in God first. Proverbs 12, 2 says, A good man obtaineth favor of the Lord, but a man of wicked devices... He'll never do anything with it. Proverbs 13, 15 says, Good understanding giveth favor, but the way of transgressors is hard. You know, the word favor that we use is kin to the word favorite. Now, this is real simple. And I know that this is not popular today, and probably a bunch of you aren't going to agree with it. It doesn't matter. I can't help it you don't know your Bible. You know God has favorites? You say, oh, brother, the Bible says that God has no respect. That's the salvation. You look at the 12 apostles. You had 12. Out of that, you had three that were special. Out of that three, you only had one. And it's the only apostle that Jesus ever said he loved. No, I know he loved them all. You know that Jesus had a special love for John? John was his favorite. You know, John's the only apostle of everybody who was there when they're at the Last Supper. He lays his head across on the breast of Jesus, and here's the heartbeat of God. He is the only man in the history of the world up to that time that was able to do that. 
You're able to do it today because you have the heartbeat of God inside you with the Word of God, and you can hear His heartbeat. That's why John's such a great type. Somebody said one time, well, what do you mean that, that Jesus had a special love for John? I mean this, John had a special love for Jesus. That's what I mean. No, I know God loves us all. He does. He does. I mean, the old saying is, God takes fools, take care of fools and drunkards, and I don't drink much. But it's simple. When you find favor with God because of your relationship with Him, because how much you love that book, I'm not saying you don't become a monk and live in a, in a monastery someplace. I'm saying that all things become new, old things get passed away, and your preference, your passion, and everything about you, you hold nothing back, like last week in verse 26. Giveth and spareth not. You'll take somebody, you'll recognize what God has given to you, and your problem will not be not giving them enough. Your problem will be giving them too much. That's a good problem to have. Now, when you do the work of God and give people what they really need, the investment of your life, you'll earn a good name. And that good name will bring uh, into, your, into your life favor with people because, and you'll become their favorite. That's why they ask me for you. That's why they watch you right now. No man liveth to himself and no man dieth to himself. There's always somebody watching our lives. No, I love everybody unconditionally. Never nothing that you would do would keep me from loving you. Nothing. There's no time, no matter what you did, that I wouldn't be there to try to help you. I, I love you that much. Now, there are a few exceptions to that, obviously. If you're a child molester, go someplace else. I mean, you'll find some lady who'll take you in, I'm sure. But uh, I, I, I'm not. Uh, there are a few exceptions. But my favorite people will be those who share the burden of my ministry along by my side. And I love everybody. But I'm telling you, I, I, I was reading, this is going to sound corny, I was reading Shakespeare the other night. I know. You wouldn't think that I'm a Shakespearean type of guy. I'm very cultured. Where most people would say, get off your rear end, I would say, get off your external posterity extremity. It's cultured. Very cultured. And the other night I was reading Shakespeare. And I remembered that Shakespeare in this account was reaccounting what Henry V did back in the 1400s. When he was getting ready, the King of England was getting ready to go to war with France. And he pulled all of his troops together. And he gave this great long speech. And he ended like this. We band of brothers, for he who this day sheds his blood with me shall truly be my brother. You see, there's a bond. When we are in the middle of the ministry, slugging it out together, 
We're not the rear in the rear with the gear. We're in the combat up front where it's coming over the wall faster than we can deal with it. And I'll tell you what. I love everybody. But I'm going to tell you something, and it's the dying truth. My favorite people will be those who share my burden with this ministry by my side. I have two passions, only two. One of them is the Word of God, and the other one is people. I like to do a lot of other things. I do. I still imagine fun things that we've all did together. I do. I love things we do together. I love going out to Worlds of Fun on Halloween. I love the hayride. I love the Ironman competition. I love the fun things that we do that have nothing to do with church. <laughs> Mike, I remember as long as it was. How many years ago was we went to watch you race over there at, uh, a long time ago? And I still remember that. I remember you coming around that corner and sliding into those big old tires into the dirt. And I'll tell you what I remember. That little 14-year-old kid, just a little guy who won the championship race. And he was driving a quarter mid, oh, I don't know what they're called, one of those race cars. And he was taking that thing out. And he was in the lead. And there was an old pro that was behind him trying to do everything he could to get that kid to go wide so he could get up there. That kid just held the line and won the race. I'd never forgotten that. But that's not my passion. I love to hunt coyotes. There's nothing greater in this world than hog all camoed up, get your air rifle ready, make like a wounded rabbit. And when a coyote comes in, shoot him. It's, the, it's an adrenaline pump like nothing else. And sometimes they'll come in behind you. I was down the other day and I'm sitting there and I, and I third something and I looked over and there was a coyote right here looking at me. But that's not my passion. I, I, I like to watch the Chiefs play. That's why I asked because I couldn't find him. But that ain't my passion. I don't care about baseball. Baseball is the most boring game in the world. Golf? You kidding me? I mean, uh, tennis? Mm -mm, okay. And I, I, I tell you, but it, that, none of that's my passion. I have one pas two passions in life. One of them is the Word of God, and the other one is the souls of men. You know why? Because they're the only two things going to last for all of eternity. Amen. I like life. I enjoy life. You'd, ha you'd have to look a long time to find somebody who don't have more fun than I do. We have fun together. We laugh. We tell jokes. We crack on each other. William and I are always getting on each other. I still make fun of him about his orthopedic shoes he wears, you know. He never wore them since. But we love each other. You see, we, we have fun together. But none of that's my passion. Boy, my passion is when you crawl into that foxhole together. And I see you out there on the OPs, and I see you out there on the line. And you're out there in the cold, and you don't have enough food and the wind's howling down your back, and you want to get back where it's warm and where it's comfortable, in the rear with the gear. But you know what? You have a dedication, and you have a determination, and you have a self-discipline, and you're going to hold the line where you're at. That's what I'm talking about. I, I'm under no illusion that the ministry will cost you something. The ministry will cost you something. And everybody's just not willing to pay that cost. I mean, you'll pay the cost of a new house. Won't even think about it. You'll pay the cost of a new boat or a new car or a new this. You'll pay the cost of a, a golf course club ship membership. You'll join a fitness center that's going to cost you $1,000 a year when you could just go out and quit eating. 
<laughs> but the cost of serving the Lord Jesus Christ through ministry is just too high for us. Now I'll tell you, I, I, I'm lovingly kidding you here. I, I tell people all the time, you're my favorite. I say, you're my favorite. And you always say to me, I, you say that to everybody. Which is not true. But I want to tell you something, you need to get this. In the ministry, you can have more than one favorite. You just don't understand. Let me explain it. You see, each of you is different. Each of you have different abilities to do the work that I see. Each of you have a uniqueness in, in what you do, what God has given you, that maybe the other person doesn't have. But I watch you use that. I watch you allow God to take that and develop that. So in each scenario, in each person, in each category, each of you can be my favorite in a different way. I got, we got four dogs in our house. Downstairs I have Buddy and Daisy. Brother and sister, female, male lab. I'm asking, and I've got pictures of them here on my phone someplace, and they're the cutest dogs in the world. When I go upstairs and open the basement door and look down, there's a gate there, and I'll call their name, two big heads will come around looking for me. I'll be over there on Sunday, uh, Monday morning, drawing out my sermon, they're on the couch, and both of them are just laying there, just looking at me. They'll take their eyes off of me. They might drift off to sleep, but the moment I move the chair, they're up. They're the most beautiful labs you ever saw in your life. Crazy, but they're really good dogs. They really are. Somebody asked me one time, which of those is your favorite? Now, you think that that would be a hard choice, but it's not when you put it in my mindset or context. I always answer, oh, that's easy. Buddy is my favorite male lab. Daisy is my favorite female lab. We got two more dogs upstairs. We got Izzy who was an aborted, adopted a border collie. And we got Otis. Otis is a rat with a genetic defect. It turned him into a dog. <laughs> Just kidding. Just kidding. Otis, Otis is the sweetest little guy you ever want in your life. He is a great little puppy. He is. He's nine years old or something like that, maybe older than that, but he's a good guy. And somebody says, what's one of those favorites? Izzy's my favorite border collie. Oh, this is my favorite little dog. <laughs> I, I, got, I got two daughters. I got Kelly here. <clears throat> and I got Jamie, who's homesick. <clears throat> and I, I got great daughters. And I love them very much. I've been asked for me, somebody would say to me, uh, kind of sheepishly, you know, uh, like they're apologizing, uh, uh, which one's your favorite? And I said, oh, that's easy. Kelly's my favorite oldest daughter. Jamie is my favorite younger daughter. You see, they both bring different things to the party. Amen. Just like you guys do. You see, when you only have one or two, you're my favorite, you're very limited in your understanding of what's going on. Everybody here brings something to this ministry that's invaluable. And you'll bring something that the other person next to you don't bring. And in that, you're invaluable. It's just that simple. You see, I don't, I don't make my favorites by outward appearances. I look at what they've done with the Word of God in their life, and do they have a good name? Because I want to be associated with a good name. Each of you here uh, bring into this 
you know, br uh, you brought into this church what God has called uh, you to do. And you bought into it. You've looked at my ministry, what I'm trying to do, and you said, you know what? I'm with him. That's what I want to do. You bought into this mess. And I'll say, let it be known, my, my passion is only two things, the Bible and the people. God has given me a host of men and women that are invaluable to me because of what they do and how well they do it. A band of brothers who this day will shed his blood with me for the ministry's sake. You know, it all comes down to, as I said, dependability. Most people, I, I, you know, my military background and all that stuff, I, 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 I watched all the special ops groups over the years and knew many of them. And the British have the SAS, which is the uh, Special Air Service, probably some of the greatest commandos uh, in the, in the, on the world today. And they, th their success is built on what they call the seven Ps. And I can't tell you what they are because... We've got kids here today. But, but those seven Ps are what I build my ministry on, and it works. You know why it works? Because they use that to get the job done because it builds them dependability. And in that sense, you're my favorite. And many of you, because you love the book, you love the people, the ministry, you have developed favor with people that they see in, the, in you what they want in themselves. And as I said, you get, you get to choose how people view you. Somebody sitting back there this morning, well, you know, he's talking about that and he's talking about this. How can we not? Hey, you chose where you're at today. I didn't bring the beer over. I, I didn't give you the pot. I, I, I didn't do all that stuff you chose to do. I didn't do that. Don't get upset with me because there are people within any church that want to serve God because of what God has done for them. That was your choice. I'm okay with it. I love you. I'll buy you a cheeseburger after church this morning if that's what you need. I'll do it. But at the end of the day, we choose how people view us by our choices. Now, when you give yourself to Christ and the Word of God, and you build the character qualities of the Lord Jesus Christ in your life, recognizing that that is a good name, then every day you and I should be a little more like Him. Every day we should act, we should think, we should be more like Christ. Just a little bit every day. This process is talked about in, in, in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 15, where it says that we uh, should grow up into Him. Most Bibles, most people misquote it and say, grow up unto him. Uh, you're not to grow up unto him. You're to grow up into him. Because every day you get a little closer to the day you're going to be him. And if you're doing your part and I'm doing my part, then every day we've got to be a little more like him. I mean, you have his book. I mean, you have his image. You have his spirit and you have his mind. Unless we've taken all that in vain. And all these things will give you a good name and favor with God and man to do the work of the ministry. People will see in your life. They say, hey, I'm struggling. I want so-and-so to help me. We didn't all start that way, did we? Psalm 40, verses 1, 2, and 3. 
I waited patiently for the Lord, cried unto him, and heard my cry. Amen. Brought me up out of a horrible pit, out of the miry clay, and set my feet upon a rock. And he has established my goings. And he has put a new song in my mouth, even praise unto our God. And many shall see it and fear and trust in the Lord. Didn't start that way for all of us. People get in here when I preach something like this, they get their nose better than a joint because they think I didn't include them into it. I didn't include or exclude anybody. You're going to include or exclude yourself. But I am telling you this. We all started the same way. There wasn't one person in this room who, who started out being where they're at with God right now. Not a one. There wasn't one person in this room that started out knowing the Bible like many of them know it now. We all started the same place. We made choices in life. We decided to do this or not to do this. We decided to train our children the right way or not. We decided to get into the Bible or play video games. We decided to do this or do that. We chose where we're at right now. And I'm cool with it. I am. I'm not worried about you. I'm worried about me. And all these things will give you a good name and favor with God, and people will see it and they want to be part of it. Now, this is in the Bible that's called God transforming you. None of us started out this way. Everybody who are where you're at today, that you're in your own heart and your own mind, you're doing and understand what God wants you to be and do. You went through a transformation process. You started as a new Christian, and then you brought yourself through the Word of God, through the Holy Spirit of God, through the ministry, whatever you did, to where you're at right now, or where you're not at right now. You see, the world can do many things for you. In particular, it can do four things for you. The, word, the world can inform you. You can get on the Internet, and the world will inform you or misinform you. You can do something wrong, go to jail, and the world will reform you. You can get out with the crowd and hang out with the crowd at school or wherever you go at work, and they can conform you. But only the Bible can transform you. In the Bible, as I talked about earlier, there's seven places where God changes somebody's name. Five of them are good, two of them are bad. In Genesis chapter 17, you had Abram. Abram at that point in his life was not where he needed to be with God. God had just found him. And he goes through a process of transforming himself. And then at one point in Genesis 17, God changes his name to Abraham. Abram means high father. Abraham means the father of many nations. He had his wife, Sarai, who means princess. So she goes through her struggles and she goes through everything that she does. And in Genesis chapter 17, verse 15, God changes her name to Sarah, which means that she's going to produce many sons and she's going to bring about the nation of Israel. We talked about Jacob in Genesis chapter 32. His name was Supplanter. And then God changed it to Israel. But boy, you ought to look at chapter 32, what he had to go through for that change in his name. He had Simon Peter. Matthew chapter 16, verse 27, his name was Simon Barjona. Peter had to learn some things, and then God changes his name to Peter. You had Saul, Acts chapter 13, verse 9, who he had to go through some things, and God changed his name to Paul. And in the Bible, and then you have the two bad guys. You had Jeconiah, who was a wicked king of Israel, who God 
took away his name, took Jehovah out of it, Jeconiah, and just called him Keniah, I mean, despised broken idol. Then you had Jehoash, which has Jehovah in it. All those kings had Jehovah in their names. And he was such a lame guy that God took his name off and just called him Joash. His name Jehoash meant fire for Jehovah. When he took Jehovah off and just called him Joash, it just meant fire. And there's many of God's people to start on fire for God, and they get their name changed the wrong way. God wants to change your name. And he wants to give you a good name. He wants to give you a name and a reputation that when people see it, they want what you have. They want to see you when you walk into work that the worst day of their life, they know that they can come to you. They don't want to look at you and think about the party you had last night or this or that or what other fun times you had or the beer drinking down at the lake. They, they're, not, they're not interested in that. They, they, they're looking for answers. And you and me, by taking God's name, should have the answers. Thou shalt take the name of the Lord, not take the Lord, name of the Lord thy God in vain. We took it the day we got saved. Did we take it in vain? And the Bible says that a good name is better than riches. It's better than all the things in the world because there's only two things worth investing your life in in this world because it's the only two things that are going to last for all of eternity. One of them is the Word of God and the other one is the souls of men. Everything else is going to pass away. We'll hold up there. And uh, I want to have a meeting with 